Welcome to Decision Space, the only podcast that takes place right here between the turns between your favorite games. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was going so good. It was so good. Okay. Welcome to Decision Space, the only podcast that takes place right here between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan. And I'm Jake. And we're so excited to have you here for another episode of Decision Space. This this week, a where is uh, what we talk about episode, not a where is my mind episode, though we will have a where is my mind segment, but a what we talk about episode about mistakes. Uh, Jake, how are you doing today? Good. Like you said, I'm excited. We're just a couple of excited guys here ready to talk some board <laughs> games. Like, <laughs> like we always start out like we're so excited, but it's kind of true. It is kind of true. And it's nice because, you know, we're 21 episodes in now. The The listeners don't know this, but I'm going to tell them now. We recorded the Carcassonne episode like four days ago. Uh, so normally we try to have a week, a full week between our recordings and for whatever reason we got pinched on both sides and I'm just as excited as I am when we go like a full week waiting to record. I'm like, I've been anxious for this conversation and, and looking forward to it. So that's a good place to be. And I hope you all are too, though it will be a full week for you. Yeah. And the, the, what we talk about episodes are always some, I think probably some of the most fun ones we do. So hopefully this will be another one that people enjoy. Definitely. Awesome. So we talked about doing a where's my mind segment for a long time. This was like an introductory short, like, what are you thinking about in terms of gaming or something? And we promised we were going to do every episode. And then we promptly realized we talked too much about our core subjects. But I think when we have these what we talk about, periodically, we'll go back to them. And I know Jake has some things on his mind. So do you want to jump in and let us know where where in the space you're existing? Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. So this is just a segment that we... uh, always do some of the time (laughs) um yeah so i got to play a game of dune imperium uh it was really fun uh jamie stegmeier uh came over and taught the game i played with him and and another mutual friend miles who is actually did some of the art in uh the new stonemeyer game red rising and we had a great time with it so i just thought i'll use this platform to do a little mini review of dune imperium awesome what were you can i ask before you dive into it what were you expecting going into dune imperium did you expect to enjoy it were you excited to play it were you middle of the road where were you at with it definitely excited to play it uh jamie's been talking about it a lot i believe it was his number one game of last year wow um and i've talked about how i've been very lukewarm to just cold on deck building games in general. Uh, not something that I'm typically drawn to, but I had such a good time playing Arnak, which has the deck building combined with worker placement vibe, which is repeated in Dune Imperium, that I was excited to try another game in that sort of mold yeah. uh, and, and have that as a point of comparison. Nice. So what do you think of it? So I had a great time with it. And I, my overall takeaway is that I think this trend of deck building combined with worker placement works really well. I think I enjoy Dune Imperium and Arnak both more than any other deck building Mm. game I've played previously. Uh, It's hard to put my finger on exactly why, but I think those two system mechanics combine in a way that really 
creates a rich texture to make decisions and some very rewarding gameplay. Would you say that the... Okay, so in Arnak, we talked a lot how like there's equal parts stack building, equal parts worker placement, and then like an equal, a track that sort of plays equal roles. Would you say Dune Imperium is weighted more towards like deck building or the worker placement, or is it fairly even? How yeah, would, yeah. I'd say it's pretty even, which means it's more weighted towards deck building than Arnak is, where sure. I would say in Arnak, uh, the deck building almost takes a backseat to mm. the action selection and worker placement that's happening in other portions of the game. Uh, and, and it's more traditional in the way the deck building is set up. You just have a standard market. When a card is bought, it's replaced. They all have a, a cost. Um, and then when you buy a card, it's added to your discard pile and then will be randomly shuffled back in your deck. So in Arnak, you can kind of plan w- yeah. ex- almost exactly when you'll get a card where, uh, you know, in Dune Imperium, you know if you buy a card that you'll eventually see it as you draw through your deck, but you, you're not necessarily going to be able to build and construct combos in the exact same way because the cards might simply mm. not come up together, which I think does add uh, some interesting constraints. Maybe you want to think a lot harder about buying a card just because it's good if it doesn't fit in with what you're trying to do uh that said i like the deck build it i still am not crazy about deck building in general so overall that compares for me less favorably than arnak that was probably uh, one area that i really preferred Ar- arnak yeah. um but the cards were really cool and facilitated uh some really interesting interaction on the board. And I think that's the biggest mm. con or the biggest pro in favor of Dune Imperium is that the player interaction is much stronger. Mm. Uh, and the way the game works is each round, there's essentially a uh, one single combat that happens at the end of each round after everybody's passed, taking their actions. Uh, if, if you choose to enter the combat, and that's where a lot of the points are generated from. Um, and it's, it's a game to 10 victory points. So that mechanism really funnels kind of everything you're doing towards that combat that makes interaction between players really rich. Um, and there's intrigue cards you can get to kind of increase your powers at the last seconds or maybe retreat from the combat if, if you realize you're going to lose, uh, which almost gives it, we talked about at the table that almost has that Magic the Gathering double think vibe mm. where you can put one person into the combat as just sort of a misdirection. Uh, and, and there's a big element of bluffing and, and double thing between uh, kind of these instant effects that can take place. So that was really fun. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about it, just as a final point of comparison is I felt like the decision space in Dune Imperium was much bigger, uh, significantly more open. Not only are there more, just way more spaces you can go to, but it's also, and maybe this would change with more plays, a lot harder to easily decipher where one space is good for you and another is not. It almost, you know, in Arnak, it's very clear, I need this resource so I can mm. go to this space. And there's a little bit of, do, of that in Dune Imperium, but much less. So it, it gave the feeling of uh, much more viable actions on any given turn. So it just really blew up the decision space. And then when you factor in uh, how important that interaction is between players uh, and your what are other people doing, what are they angling for, 
it really created like a massive decision space that made the game feel you know very cloudy in a way that arnak is not it was really hard to tell on any turn if what i was doing was optimal or bad and then you know all the way down to the end of the game uh, when i ended up coming in third out of three players I, you know, I was, it was revealed at that point that clearly I was making some bad choices throughout <laughs> the game, but it, I just couldn't really, with the exception of a couple of things I couldn't tell you now, sure. these were mm. uh, the moments that I, I made a mistake. I should have gone to this space or I should have took this card. So it was really cloudy. And I think that also speaks to um, a lot of replayability, right? I think that the learning would be slow <laughs> so you would uh probably get a lot of plays out of it um as you you know are slowly improving and i think that's a lot of people's bag if you really enjoy uh area control games uh, i think it has a very similar vibe to something like blood rage uh in, in that sense that things are very cloudy um that's not necessarily my bag so out of the two games i think arnak is the one that appeals more to my sensibilities as a gamer, but I think Dune Imperium is fantastic. I would, I would love to play it again. Um, and, you know, it's definitely one I would recommend if anything I've said here sounds like something that you enjoy in games. Yeah, no, that sounds very interesting. And especially the bluffing component. There's just basically, if you made such a strong comparison to Arnak, and I think that's really fair, and there's just nothing like that really in Arnak. Um, they're so so that it, it's so interesting that these two games came out at the same time and sort of coexist and have such a similar suite of mechanics but play so differently. Dune Imperium is definitely one I would love to try at some point too, just because everyone seems like they're so high on it. And yeah, um, yeah. does Dune Imperium yeah. go up to five players or is it two to four? Uh, I think oh, it, mean question. I think it goes up to four. I don't know for sure, but I will say that um, Jamie and Miles both preferred dune imperium to arnak and i know the same mm. is true from our with our other friend uh paul solomon he's he also preferred dune imperium so uh, i'm certainly at least in my play group in the minority for preferring arnak so you know it, it's a great game and i think what you're saying how different the two games play yet sharing so much dna in terms of mechanism shows that this is still even though we have these two games that came out simultaneously I hope people keep exploring this sort of mashup of mechanisms because I think uh, there is, you know, certainly there could be a game more of a middle point, And I think there could be a game, you know, on further to each end of the spectrum. Uh, there's just a lot of, uh, I think, richness there to explore. I'm really curious if someone's ever going to make a game. So uh, both of these games, you have deck builders giving you inputs for worker placement in some ways. And it, I, I obviously I haven't fully thought through this, but it'd be really interesting if you had a, a game where you took your worker placement actions first and those played into the functioning of building your deck. So like instead of sort of like phase two being worker placement, phase one is worker placement and phase two is deck building. And I don't know how much you could like play with that inversion, but it could be interesting. Um it, yeah. Is there anything on your mind this week? There is. So my wife, Maya, and I are going for the first time in ages on a vacation, almost like two years. We're going to the beach just to a cabin, a friend's cabin for a few days, uh, which created the opportunity to sort of have the the discussion of what games do we want to bring. And it was very interesting because the the games that we... I always love when I get to have those discussions with Maya because we have sort of similar tastes as game playing people. And 
I wasn't sure how it was going to trend. We're also meeting her sister and our nephew are going to be there and my brother-in-law. Um, so excited to see family too. And a lot of the games that came up as games that we wanted to play, normally I, I sort of, I went to all of the classics that we might normally bring and I pulled out like uh, Railroad Inc. and just a lot of other sort of roll and write games. And I was like, no, we need to play like on the table, interactive games where we're all like sharing in this space and like none of this own personal play stuff. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. And then also Rummy Cub made it out, which I guess is sort of what she was describing. But Rummy Cub's just like a family favorite of mine and her sister. So I think we're going to be playing like lots of more classic leaning games. I also, um, I threw Carcassonne in. We've never with this group played Carcassonne and I'm not sure Maya's, uh, my brother and sister-in-law have ever played it. They play, they love playing games with us, but they're not necessarily like board gaming isn't their hobby. Uh, so it will be interesting to see how that goes. Um, and then also I threw in, Hey, that's my fish. Because I think that's just going to be sort of like the perfect light game to jump back into things and just like a classic deck of cards too. But it was fun. That ritual is really enjoyable and I haven't been able to partake in it in a long time. Is there one game you're most excited to play? I think it's Hey, That's My Fish. Mm. <laughs> it's been so fun. Um, and it's such a good, Hey, That's My Fish can, it's so easy to teach and it's so intuitive that I think, and it's so quick to play that i could see it being the game if everyone enjoys the first play that we just play like that game all weekend in some ways all, that yeah i love that game it's also the only game i can think of where like the title is literally the table talk yeah <laughs> yeah you, know, you, you could picture somebody sitting there in like a play test just like write them that note and, like i've got it <laughs> right totally someone shouted hey that's my fish and that yeah. was the title yeah, yeah yeah definitely i think too if you're like if you're if as a listener you're thinking why why did Jake and Brennan keep talking about hey that's my fish I think you're gonna just have to deal with it I think <laughs> we'll find another way to integrate hey that's my fish into an episode in some way shape or form more earnestly in the future yeah let's do a future episode on it I think yeah. it could hold up to that I think so the more we play it like the more I feel like it's getting there yeah. in terms of yeah but okay main topic yeah let's do it cool let's do it uh so. Do you want to sort of give a, give the intro for this week's topic, actually, Jake? Sure. So this week, we are talking about what we talk about when we talk about mistakes in board games. Uh, and caged in that is this question that Brendan brought up on our last episode on Carcassonne. If you haven't listened to that, maybe go back and check it out, uh, where he was talking about choices versus decisions. And as we all know, Games provide lots of choices, uh, but in many ways, those choices are tiered. Some are better than others, uh, and some may not be viable at all. Uh, so Brendan posed the question, maybe what a mistake is in a board game is when you make a choice that is not actually a decision. Um, so today on this episode, we are going to tease out all of that. And I think it's going to be a really interesting discussion. Yeah, I think so too. And just to extrapolate on what Jake was saying, the reason why a, the sort of the reason why a decision ends up being a decision and why a choice might not actually be a decision is in part because we were sort of contextualizing choices as options the game presents you that don't advance you meaningfully towards winning, whereas decisions are 
two choices that you could make that you're picking between that you are maybe unsure of which is the better decision in terms of how far or it will advance you towards winning. And so much of that is sort of like nebulous um, thinking about games that it's hard to sort of put numbers behind, right? Like does and that's sort of parsing, trying to make decisions in games. Do I want to take this choice, which seems like it's going to lead to this point payout and might ha- accomplish this in terms of blocking my opponent? Or do I want to take choice B, knowing that it might pay out even more, but might pay out none? And that's really where you're making those meaty decisions. Whereas a choice might be, you could put your piece over here, but it's just strictly worse in terms of point outcome or blocking your opponent to decision A or B. And Let's that's... Say- yeah. Yeah, I would say like a lot of games give you the option of passing. So you sure. could pass on your first turn before doing anything else. That is a choice you could make, but clearly not optimal in, in almost all cases. Definitely. Um, yeah, and I think also it's important. I'm glad you pulled that out because there's certainly the possibility of confusing people when we use the term <laughs> choice and decision. You're probably listening. You're like, well, if I decide to do something wrong, like I've still made that decision. And I think the reason we're using that framework is because of our definition of decision space, mm-hmm. where when we're talking about decision space in board games, we're thinking only about viable decisions because all of the choices that you can make that are without value are uh, not viable in any way. That That doesn't really come into your mind my mind and i think i'm speaking for you as well when we're thinking through what we want to do on a given turn yeah and it's interesting because i feel like a large in a large part we got to this conversation this idea for talking about mistakes because through this framework we sort of realized that a lot of times when you make a mistake in a board game you are picking a choice that you think is a viable decision when at the end of the game, the feedback that the game has given you and hindsight of that choice not playing out might make you realize that the choice that you went with wasn't actually a viable decision strategically or tactically at that point in the game. So the mistake enabling the learning, um, and obviously we don't choose to make mistakes, so they have largely, they play into, well, they either play into our inability of knowing if that decision is right or not, or if it's a game with like um, prowess or like, um, what am I trying to think of, Jake? Like a lot of sports is just performing at a specific task. And a lot of games will have that too, like fighting games where you, your technical ability to perform a specific task, that's skill testing, which is a little bit different than a lot of times the decisions we're talking about, which is, go for it, go for it. Yeah, and I think, to sort of round out this intro to this discussion, I think the ability to make a mistake, to choose something that is not viable, is in many ways uh, a, something that is necessary for a game to be a game at all. Uh, a, a, sometimes a really cloudy game, like I was talking about Dune Imperium, it feels like all the choices are equally viable mm. when, when you're just learning it, and that makes the decision space feel really big, but you still know that certain things are better than others, right? There, You could make a better decision or a worse one for that turn, and that's what makes games fun. You know, if, if, if we had a toy game, I invented a toy game for this episode, Brendan. This is Amazing. my first one. I'm so, so excited. 
It's called <laughs> Red versus Blue. Okay. Uh, and in this game, you have a red D6 and a blue D6. Okay. And on your turn, you get to choose red or blue. Nice. If I choose red on my turn, I, I roll the red die and you have to roll the blue die. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the whoever value wins higher, that gets a point and then yeah. we switch yeah nice so that is a game where you have two equally viable choices right yep but interestingly no decision really well you, yeah i mean you but you get to yeah. you get to choose right so exactly so that's my point if you can't make a bad choice if there's no yeah difference in the you know viability the the percent chance that you've made the right choice then you don't have a game at all i think that that's a such a good toy game jake because it illustrates that you can have two equally viable choices and still have no decision because the consequences on the outcome don't matter at all so that was awesome and i'm so glad that you've brought a toy <laughs> game to the table and uh listeners if you don't know what we mean by toy game this is a, this is an idea that richard garfield came up with and it's a game to illustrate a sort of game design point it's not really a game that you would actually play so don't think that jake's gonna you know meet up with you at gen con in a few years and try to play red versus blue yeah catch me in the prototype room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean, Mayfair? Why don't you want to publish this? It's brilliant. (laughs) But I felt like it would be good in terms of understanding and sort of thinking about how people talk about mistakes in the context of other games that don't necessarily fall into the world of board games and sort of see what we can glean from that and then bring it back to the conversation of board games. So in classic decision space fashion, the first place that I've gone is chess. And chess is really interesting because chess, when you play sort of on a chess app, uh, like the chess.com app, it the, the computers will give you an output of your choices at the end of the game where they will rate you in terms of uh, how accurate your decisions were. And so did you have inaccuracies? I'll talk about what that means. Did you make any mistakes? And did you make any blunders? And obviously a blunder is also just uh, like culturally a word that is highly associated with chess um and you know like you intuitively i think we all know oh you made a blunder like it's just a word we know what that means but i really wanted to look at when people say someone blundered in chess what are they specifically talking about um and so i think it probably makes sense not to start with blunders though and go back to inaccuracies so inaccuracies are a way to describe when you'd make you don't make the best move in the position, but it doesn't change the current game state uh, in terms of your odds of your winning. It doesn't shift the position. So if you're in a winning position and you make an inaccuracy, you might move a game that you are going to win in four turns to a game that you can win in 10 turns, but you haven't meaningfully given up your advantage outside of time. So you haven't taken a winning position and made it even, and you, or you haven't taken... You haven't taken a winning position and made it even slightly less winning, maybe a little bit, um, but not in a huge way. Can we say an inaccuracy is making a good move instead of the best move? I think that that's pretty much what an inaccuracy is getting at. Yeah. And a lot of times in games with grandmasters, the, the, way in which people gain an advantage is just by making fewer inaccuracies because mistakes and blunders aren't happening. So you basically, two people try to have, uh, you might have like 
in Grandmaster games, like 99% accuracy for both of the players where they're making objectively, according to the computer, the best move in any given situation. And they really find those edge just by finding that little bit of weakness in the, oh, you took a slightly worse decision, but still a good move. Yeah. And then mistakes. Uh, Mistakes are moves that make the current task, so what your opponent is trying to do, easier or a lot easier. Um, So basically, if you were winning, it might mean that you could slip your winning and your position as winning the game to being more even. You've given up a piece of your advantage, but it's a slight edge. You haven't given the game away. Um, You haven't given up a piece for no trade, maybe, but maybe you've traded down in your piece, or you've given up a a meaningful shift in tempo, or you've lost a defender of one of your pieces that's going to set you back and weaken your overall plan. So this, for the lay person definition, is a bad move. Definitely a bad move. A move that meaningfully does weaken your chances of winning. Yeah, And I think that's probably the language that we should look to throughout the conversation of mistakes are are decisions that you make that meaningfully reduce your chance of winning in a game. So I think that's interesting. Trying to fit it in with our initial framework, would you say a mistake is a player making a choice, right, when they could have made a decision or... Is it, you know, uh, a decision could be, you know, uh, something like this is like a one percent the best move, mm. right? For so it's still like that. That could have some some value to it because I think when when we're talking about choices, we're talking about things that have zero percent chance of being right. Or is this just a mistake falls square squarely into that making a choice when you could have made a decision? That's really interesting. And I think it's hard in the context of chess when we're trying to then take the lessons here and apply them to board games because chess is a game of without randomness outside of your opponent's, the the behavior of your opponent, right? So I think in a board game, there might be, you might be offered, so much of what we're going to be talking about is tough because I don't want to just talk about like probabilities and abstract things. But to your point, Jake, maybe you have a, a, a choice that's a one out of 99% chance of you winning. Um, so it's going to pay out in this huge point outcome, but it's very unlikely. That might still be vi- a, a viable decision that you can make, especially if you could shift the game sort state towards that happening. But you might have another choice that you know when you make that choice, the plan is much more likely to succeed. Maybe it succeeds 90% of the time rather than 1% of the time. But your chance of winning when you make that choice maybe only goes up a little bit. Um, how about I, like, how about poker, right? Okay. Maybe it'd be a situation where you make a big bet and your only way of winning is if you get, you know, two specific cards on the turn and river. Yep. Right, so that's that could be like a less than 1% chance of that happening. Yet, there's a chance where the optimal move in that situation is to fold. Fold, sure. Yeah, and it's and I feel like in terms of poker, I feel like a lot of the common thinking is like, oh, you should just fold there. Just when you play poker, play the odds. Um, but it, it's interesting in terms of decisions versus choices. Is it a choice? Uh, is a one in 99% is a 1% chance outcome of winning? Does that count? 
I guess it depends on the game and depends on the player, but 99% of the time it will be a mistake. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then I guess finally, just to cap it off, a blunder is just a move essentially that dramatically alters the position. You were winning, you made a blunder, and now if you're not even, you might be losing a little bit. It's something that has significantly compromised your ability to win or significantly compromised your position in the game. So you, you could be really, really winning and blunder and then bring your opponent back into the game, or it, it could be a draw and you could blunder and you could basically give the game away. Yeah. In, in uh, competitive card game circles, I think a lot of times people talk about a blunder as a throw. Yeah, like yeah. Have your last round go. Oh, I threw because I did X, Y, and Z, and that was obviously wrong. Totally. Which definitely, it's so interesting. Sort of the language that gets used in different games, and I, I do wonder if, in some ways, it has to do with the amount of agency that you have. Where sometimes in fighting games, it's like, oh, I just like totally threw. When you make a series of really bad decisions, and in fighting games, because all options are viable sometimes every choice that you can make is probably a decision, but it's similar to poker in that there's certain behavior that you can take that's so risky, you would be, you, well, yeah. Yeah, I would say not all fight. In, in Smash Bros, for example, you could sue, you could SD, right? Jump off sure, the stage sure, sure. on accident. And that would be a blunder. There's totally. no value to you doing that at all. It's something that happens at the top level of play. Uh, but and it fundamentally changes the trajectory of that game when it does. And I feel like that uh, in SDN sort of jumping off the stage in Smash where your opponent did nothing to force you off and you just gave up a stock kind of ties into how people talk about mistakes in sports. So I won't dwell on the sports example for very long, but in baseball statistics, uh, it's when teams are baseball statistics are used to look at how teams perform. and. It's interesting because one thing that people care about is when a when a batter goes to bat and they hit the ball and they make it to a base, did they make it to the base because they hit the ball well or did they make it to the base because a fielder didn't do their job as perceived as well as they should do it? Meaning, did they get to the did they make it to the to first base because the fielder made a mistake? Or did they make it because it was a good hit? And there's some subject subjectivity there. But when a batter hits the ball, makes it to first base, and it sh they should have been out, that is ruled an error, right? So like maybe the the person who's fielding the ball just throws it wildly over the first baseman's head, or they fumble the ball in some way and they they make it. That is a situation where they don't get credit for the hit. Instead, the defender gets marked for an error um, because. So it's just a way to think through sort of this plays into expectations, which I think is interesting. An error comes into play when in a given situation in a game, based on the information that you had, you're, the expectation is that you should be able to perform in a certain way. And if that doesn't go well, then it's an error. And I think that sometimes in board games, um, we talked about this a little bit in Carcassonne, actually, Jake. Uh, the example of when a player wants to put a tile somewhere to complete the the sort of the feature, like you want to put the middle tile of the city just because you want to finish the feature, um, that's an error. There's no reason in terms of advancing your play towards the end that you should be doing that behavior because it doesn't help you. Um, and it's a mistake that you do that in terms of advancing towards the your towards winning the game.
Yeah, that's it. Re- the baseball example is really interesting because most of the time when an error happens in that context, it's a issue with execution. Right? Yeah, it's not yep. like the it could happen that the player makes the wrong decision. Right, they field the ball and they throw it to second instead of first. Though <laughs> I think that's incredibly uncommon uh, to 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 see something like that. More often, it's as you describe. Right, they're yeah. trying to catch the ball correctly but it hits their glove and bounces onto the ground. Um, so that's an error in execution. And it's that doesn't necessarily have a one-to-one uh, translation into board games, I guess outside of dexterity games yeah, um, where you're doing something physically. But I think it gets closest when, um, and, and I want to talk about this a little bit later, when we're talking about mistakes made out due to lack of, bandwidth right Mm, if you're mm -hmm. thinking through uh, a sequence of 10 things and you decide that's your course of action and you miscalculate on the third step and and there's an there's an issue there right you don't have the resources required to pay that so you've done something totally non-optimal i think that gets pretty close to uh, uh error in execution like like you see in sports Definitely. And I feel like a great analog, an example of that is like the example of in Keyforge, sometimes the board states will get huge. Just you'll have 10 or 15 uh, creatures on either side of the board and they'll have different ability words. And maybe you'll, you'll just forget that a creature has an ability like say elusive. So the first time they're attacked each turn, uh, no damage is dealt. And when you you would never make the decision unless you had a meaningful follow-up to then fight into that elusive creature if you didn't intend to fight into it again. And there's definitely times where I've witnessed and have d- attacked into an elusive creature, not realizing that just because I my bandwidth was overloaded. Um, and I can say that it definitely feels a lot like dropping a fly ball in baseball. Yeah, a, absolutely. Yeah, horrible. It's a, it's a throw, for it's sure. It's a throw, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and th- that's funny. That's the exact situation example i was thinking yeah. through when okay. i kind of came up with that <laughs> just like <laughs> yeah attacking an elusive creature that's a that's an overthrown ball for sure <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so i think that now that we sort of have this language and i think obviously all of these are games um, but doesn't necessarily map onto board games perfectly i feel like it might be useful to then return to that conversation we were having at the beginning of jake so what exactly and i know this is what we're going to be teasing out through the course of the episode maybe so maybe we'll just fumble our way onwards but i think i'm curious having talked about these things what do we mean when we say a mistake is made in play in a board game yeah well i think going back to the chess categories of mistakes you came up with is really helpful because when we're talking about mistakes i don't think we or typically people are talking about inaccuracies yep you know you're generally not uh, with the exception of like high level competitive play if you're playing a board game with your friends and so it's like oh you, you made a mistake it's generally not that somebody made a good move but not the best move especially yeah. because we don't have uh chess algorithms uh you know determining in dune imperium like what the best action placement spot is so yeah. in many in in most cases that's not knowable anyway yep i think what we're talking about when we're talking about making mistakes is taking an action that significantly worsens your chances of winning the game 
Yeah. And when we say significantly, and I, I think that's a big spectrum too, because I think when we say mistakes, we are including what they call blunders in chess too, right? Because you could make a mistake in a game that we would call a mistake that is like, oh, you don't have a chance of winning the game anymore. That would be a really bad mistake. But I think we could also mean something where your chances of winning the game go down 10%. And that could be a mistake, yeah. you know? Like that's a, there have definitely been times where you and I have been playing games on, Yukata or Board Game Arena, and I've made a choice, and then a few turns later go, oh, I have now meaningfully affected my ability to win without sort of saying I threw the game, but I definitely have hurt myself in that. Right. right. Yeah, and I mean, to pull out blunders, I think that is, for board games, the way we think about it, is more analogous to the the baseball error. It's, yeah. it's when you do something that is obviously wrong, um, and generally it's it's something I think that is pretty immediate in the feedback you get from it, right? Like in chess, it's you make a move and then the other person's like, okay, I guess I'll just take your queen. Um, and, you know, and, and that kind of thing happens all the time in other games. It's it's also the kind of thing that I think a blunder is typically something, if you're playing casually with friends, it's mm. the kind of thing where a lot of times somebody will be like, Oh, like if you want to just take that back because it's yeah. so obviously wrong that it fundamentally almost messes up the the game. And it just depends. It depends on your magic circle. I mean, most of my games aren't with the exception of like organized competitive play, which makes up the minority of my game playing. I typically am not playing like, oh, your fingers off that piece. And now I just like win by default. You know, we I, most people want to have like a fulfilling game. And I think blenders harm that the whole yep. game from that angle totally and that's what's so interesting and, and i keep going back to the carcassonne example because in some ways if you were playing a game competitively and this came up in the last episode those are moments where the um it's a it's a a player is making a choice that is so clearly within the the culture of people at the table who know the game well it's so clearly not a decision that it feels bad to allow that player to make that choice because that the skill level at the table is at a point where culturally everyone sees that that choice is so beyond not viable that we want to help the player get up to speed quicker. So to help them learn, we're just like jumping on all these concepts. We just say, no, let's try it again, pick a different one. Like that's, that's not have you play out this whole game having to get that feedback. I'm just going to verbally tell you that feedback, which is really important in terms of players having a good experience together sometimes like yeah not everyone should have to go through a game where and but games that allow you to have that can be so exciting for sure and i yeah. think we should say too that that can be fraught with yes. potential pitfalls uh you don't <laughs> want you know in order for me to want to say something it has to be really egregious and really obvious because Right. You, that brings in almost like the alpha gamer quarterbacking problem. You want to let people, you know, experience the game on their own and make mistakes. You don't want to take away, you know, for you to step in and correct something in and of itself is harming the game and the yeah. magic circle. So, you know, that what you're correcting, like better be significant and worth it. And, and sometimes in games too, there'll be situations where because of some hidden information somebody does something that looks like a blender that 
may not be. Maybe a good move, maybe something that you haven't seen in previous plays, uh, or perhaps you know they you know are are on to something that you haven't experienced yet. So you got to be really careful and. I just wanted to say, I just wanted to put that caveat out there because I felt like we were almost coming on a little too hard. Like if somebody makes a mistake, just fix it. You know, not like that. Totally. And I, I appreciate you making that caveat, Jake. And I feel like the the other final point to it that's important is like, if you ever did that, you have to know the person would want you to do that too. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, I feel like one idea that came out of what we were talking about before the disclaimer, Jake, that was really interesting that you brought up and you mentioned to me earlier on was this idea of we've been talking about feedback some. And in terms of mistakes, one of the things that games can do most interestingly um, is how quickly do you get feedback that your mistake was a mistake? So the, the example we talked about earlier, like blunders, when they happen in chess or when they happen in Keyforge, like we were talking about, or in baseball, everyone knows the moment it happens that it was a huge mistake. But there's other mistakes that might not be huge mistakes that you don't learn about for a large period of time. Um, so do you want to sort of maybe jump into the question that you were posing in terms of mistakes and and where, where your head is on this sort of immediacy and the feelings that it might cause? Yeah. So, I mean, I think... The general thing I was pondering is why do some mistakes in games feel so much worse than others? And I do think that immediate feedback is probably the thing that uh, makes mistakes feel worse. But I think more specifically than that is is mistakes that happen because of lack of bandwidth mm. uh, are the are the ones in particular that feel bad because um the worst worst of all because and i think that has i hadn't thought about it until you brought the baseball example because it's the closest analog we have in games to an error of execution right yep. there's there's no reason that should have happened you know it everybody else at the table knows it um and so not only is did you do something dumb that's hurting your chance to win the game that you're playing but it's also embarrassing because you know it it was something that was easily avoidable and now it's done and you can't go back and you just have to like really grit your teeth and i think that's the same reason it happens in chess probably most often it's bandwidth right you start thinking three four moves ahead that you missed the obvious obvious one yeah yeah Definitely. I think that it's so interesting that you went to the to embarrassment um, because I think it gets so much to the heart of of why the mistake feels bad and also sort of partially the, the act of making decisions and making smart decisions being part of why we play games. Um, and I don't I do you think, Jake, then on that spectrum do you think that there's potential to like directly chart the amount of time and how bad between when you realize a decision is bad and how bad it feels? Or I guess it depends on how well you know the game too, which is the caveat to this entire conversation. Yeah, I, I think I think how, knowing the game is important. I do think there's an interesting phenomenon that happens, uh, you know, if you're charting time when feedback is given over when mistake is made that you know, at first it feels really bad and then it starts going down. But then I think if, if as time goes up more and more, uh, 
you know, as bad, it might start feeling worse again because of two reasons. You know, one that could be like, oh, I thought I was in this game and now all of a sudden end game scoring and I realize that I like did something that affected that. Like that's super anticlimactic. Or I still don't know, you know, why I've lost this game, which could be frustrating because there's, you know, it, it takes so long for the game to give you feedback of a mistake you made that you probably have lost track of it and no longer are aware when it happened or what it was. Um, so I think that could be there. I think there is like, you know, to your point, something interesting happening there. And so the, th- the, the distance between feedback is very interesting to me too, because partially not only does it become, there's so many decisions that could have happened since then that it can be, it, that's partially what's clouding the feedback, right? There's all of these decisions that I've played into after that decisions that has been made that, impacts your ability to go back and judge that first decision because if okay so i did a so then i did b and then i did c and it's it's tough to unravel that thread so I, i feel like in some ways it cushions the okay a really was a bad decision but i could have just changed these decisions and maybe it would have played out okay um so i feel like it's it just becomes easier to excuse yourself the more decisions you have between them now we're getting into it's like player psychology just because you can sort of say oh i could have salvaged that initial mistake right. maybe it wasn't really a mistake maybe it was a 50-50 and it was just my follow up a 50-50 decision between two choice a uh, 50-50 decision situation and it was right. It wasn't that it was wrong. It's just that it didn't play out right this time. Yeah. And that's what that distance can be so hard in. And that could be true. And I think a lot of when board games are really interesting and really engaging and bring you coming back, you do have lots of sort of 50-50 or 60-40 decisions that feel very close and like judgment calls. And depending on the randomness in the game, in a different game, it might have played out okay, and it might have played out to your favor, I should say. And to me, that's where you get sort of the stubborn desire to repeat the same behavior to see if it plays out differently. And I'm definitely, uh, I definitely do that. I'll make a decision, end up losing the game, but I still feel like maybe it was the right decision and just the outcome of the game didn't play in my favor. So then I want to try that again. And that's where trying to understand your mistakes can become interesting and figuring out if things are mistakes absolutely i think that is one of the most important things about this conversation which mistakes aren't always bad for games right not all we sort of started off by saying they're essential for games to happen if you can't make mistakes if you if there aren't better or worse moves then we're back to red and blue and there's no game at all so we we want there to be mistakes and but there needs for a mistake i think to feel satisfying to like bring you back to the game there has to be an area of learning Mm -hmm. an element of learning to it um which is why you know if games their feedback is so obscured you might not necessarily come away feeling like okay well i learned this and this that i want to try next time you might just kind of come away feeling like i don't really know what happened uh in that game i lost by a few points but you know, there's there's nothing specifically I want to try next time or on the other side of the spectrum, right? Getting back to blunders, I think part of the reason not only are they embarrassing, they feel so bad is there's no learning there, right? If you sac- yeah. if you give up your queen because you didn't realize it was pinned or you, you know, attack, you know, into an elusive creature and waste your turn, 
um, which messed up your whole plan. Like there's no learning. It's like you already knew before that turn started that those were bad things in the game. Um, so, So there's no personal benefit. You can't find anything to really take solace in. Yeah, I, that's. I feel like when I was trying to play fighting games and poking competitively, one mindset that you can get in as a player is that you start to feel like you start to see and value mistakes as being an opportunity to learn. And when you get into that mindset, making them becomes almost um, exciting because you know you you realize how much better you can do in that situation in the future, right? Um, and that's part of the excitement of playing games is getting better and experiencing that. So. As long as the mistakes aren't uh, blunders and embarrassing, I really like games that give me the room to make mistakes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And there's even something fun about, or maybe the most fun about identifying a new mistake that you mm, made. Yeah. Right. Because I think that's something in in Dune Imperium. The first time I played it, I didn't I didn't know very much. But now that I know the mechanism better, I think next time it would start clicking for me. It's like, oh, like I now, am, when I make a mistake, like I'll be better able to like perceive it as such, right? And that is like, there's no more key to learning than being like, I didn't even realize I was making this mistake. And now that I've learned that, I can adjust it. I can stop making it. Definitely. I feel like that in disc golf all the time. I'm like, just learning how to throw a disc correctly. Uh, you know, you start out watching the tip videos and everything and you just have to like keep practicing and practicing. And now after, you know, playing intensively for a year, if I go back and look at the same videos, like I understand them completely differently because of, you know, how many times I've been through that motion and just becoming more in tune with executing on that. It's it's pretty, it's just, you know, it's kind of blown my mind revisiting some of those lately. I'm just like, oh, wow. Like, that's what they mean. <laughs> mm, yeah. I feel like this charts so interestingly on the decisions and choices dichotomy that we were talking about too, Jake. Because within the sort of learning curve that we're talking about caused by mistakes, um, charted on to that. I think baseline heuristics sometimes in games help you realize all of the choices that a game gives you that aren't really choices. So when you first sit down to play a game, you might know that you might just see all of the choices and say, okay, these are all decisions I can make. Very quickly, those heuristics might, you know, lop off half of those choices and then you see the real decisions and then you are ignoring some of the choices that you can make. And through mistakes, maybe you start to ignore more and start to ignore more. And I feel like expert play can then get you back into sort of seeing when a choice that to everyone else at the table seems like an unviable choice, an option within the game that is foolish to take. Expert play sometimes can be knowing when those really low probability or low, not oftenly effective choices actually are a viable decision and making that happen. And I think sometimes that's where players get to the point where they're sort of saying like, oh, like there's room for expression in this game because you've identified at the point where there's a, everyone at the table doesn't see how the, this specific choice is actually a decision you can make. And then it pays off. That can be even more exciting and can sort of lead to mastery. But there's so many mistakes sort of on the road to seeing a game state that makes that true. Yeah, I think that what you did was just kind of put together a really great framework for uh, entry level play, which is Mm. all about making the fewest mistakes, taking the fewest actions that are not actually viable at the table. 
where expert level play is all about inaccuracies, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's that's how I feel when I play um, Castles of Burgundy, you know, a game mm. I've played 50 plus times last year alone on Yukata. Um, you know, I feel like at this point of that game, I'm not making mistakes on my turn. I'm just trying to find the optimal, very best play on my turn. Um, and, you know, against a new player, I'm going to win the vast majority of those games because if they make, you know, a, one or two not viable moves, I'll be so far ahead of them. Uh, and, you know, I'd love to have a Castle of Burgundy uh, play algorithm to see. That'd be pretty cool. That would be super cool. Get on it, nerds. <laughs> <laughs> so... I think this discussion has been really productive, Jake, and you brought up earlier that you feel like mistakes are fundamental to games. So then I, just for the sake of the conversation, want to pose the question, can can you have a game that does not allow players to make mistakes, or is that an activity or a toy? Is it possible to have a sort of uh, an experience that doesn't allow you to make mistakes? And then if that's the case, are mistakes a fundamental aspect of games i think i don't think that it's possible for there to be a game that doesn't allow you to make mistakes i think that gets us really close to red versus blue Mm -hmm. Um, that said i do think that it's a matter of scale right and i think one thing about when you talk about point salad games those are games where everything you do is good everything you do is getting you points in some ways um you know in in castles of burgundy there you can't take anything you can't do anything in that game that does not help you that does not give you points uh but there are clearly things that give you more points or less points right and in in the same way um that you could blender away a queen you know choosing a move that gives you the potential to earn two points in castles of burgundy over a move that gives you the potential to earn 20 points is essentially the same thing. Yeah, that's really interesting. I feel like I was completely on board with you. And then you said, (laughs) bless you, bless you, bless you. Then you said the red versus blue example. And then I thought, well, I think red versus blue is a game, but it's not a game I'm very interested in playing. I guess Um, it does it come down to your definition of like, what is a game? I think it probably does, which probably is not a great, uh, that's not great waters to wade into at this point <laughs> of the conversation. But I will say, I think mistakes are key to strategy games. Um, that those two things are obviously inexorably tied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the idea that we just get more and more abstract in every single episode of like an <laughs> art project. So you start out like, what is decision space? And we're like, wait, like we don't even know what a game is. Like, what is a game? And we're like, what is, is. <laughs> this is just going to turn into a linguistics podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I guess, do you sort of, I, this is an interesting, uh, sort of podcast and conversation today, Jake. And I feel like more so, I feel like I've been equipped with the language to understand, like, when I make a mistake in a game, what type of mistake I've made. Um, and I think I'll also maybe be a little bit more aware of, like, when I'm reflecting on playing board games, like, oh, was that decision an inaccuracy? 
um, in terms of looking for for an edge. And sometimes, you know, you can win games and realize when when you have inaccuracies or even mistakes also. Um, but do you, I guess, do you have any takeaways in terms of yeah. the conversation? I think that's really interesting. And I think perhaps the most fruitful thing we've done is think about how those ch- that chess framework can be mm-hmm. applied to games. I, I think, you know, there's a, I do think that would be helpful. And uh, especially in the, one of my favorite thing about games in general in this hobby is after the game, if people are willing to like sit around and kind of like talk about what just happened, uh, had a really fantastic talk, uh, you know, the our game of dune imperium i think was you know 90 minutes and then we probably talked for 20 minutes after about the design the game you know what happened and that was as much fun as playing the game itself and i think you know if you had a group of friends that was were equipped with this framework especially if somebody's more experienced in the game with you and and you want to learn i think this could be a really helpful uh way to just have a more nuanced conversation about the play uh and kind of what went down as opposed to saying like this was a mistake you know you say like this was you know a blunder and here's why or this was you know not your best move you know it was a very good move but if i was in your situation i might have thought about doing this instead and i think that's pretty that i think that's helpful especially you know just for learning and increasing our understanding of some of these games definitely i well put jake i I also, I feel like the other, for me, I feel like one thing that I really want to take forward is how succinctly you put um, the execution error of bandwidth overload being a, a bridge in some ways between how we experience games and how we experience sports and other sort of, and, and it's where execution plays more of a role and sort of thinking through that and making sure to bring that into our conversation on the decision spaces of games. Um, because I think we've sort of waded into it a little bit at times, but there's probably even more of an opportunity to take this idea of, of making mistakes and, and what type of mistake there is and what that says about the decision space. Um, what the, given the, the size of it, even in terms of the viable, uh, decisions that you have or the choices that it presents. Yeah, absolutely. I th- yeah, I think. Thinking through in the future as we talk about games, like what kind of mistakes are happening? What mistakes are we noticing in our plays? Um, might be something really interesting to elevate uh, and provide a more uh, complete picture of what it's like to play that game. I think, you know, it's another thing that we're continuing to flesh out that's important, not necessarily impacting the decisions, right? The decision space itself, but certainly the tenor of the decision space and like what it feels to exist there definitely so a few of y'all in our discord said you should do an episode on decisions versus choices now that you mentioned that in the last episode on carcassonne so i would like to hear from you what or if you would like to come to the discord and give us that opinion yourself do you think that this episode has fulfilled that role for you or would you like to hear further discussion of it and if so what direction would you like to see Jake and I take it? Uh, uh, that would be really interesting. And I think also just for further thoughts, I'd be interesting what people have to say about how this impacts game design. Are mm. designers thinking about the types of mistakes people are likely to make in the game and the experience of that, right? Because I think, you know, we talk about how painful these bandwidth design these bandwidth mistakes are you know are are people thinking about eliminating that are people thinking about the number of turns 
between or the amount of time between a mistake being made and when feedback is given, how feedback was given, you know, in a way to facilitate learning. I think there's a lot of kind of rich stuff there for the game designers out there. If you're a game designer, uh, is that something you think about uh, with your design, your work? Definitely. Can I I'll, can I quickly give an Enchanted Plumes anecdote? I'm sorry, yeah, Jake. Of course, of course. Um, I mean, I guess if you're a game designer on this <laughs> podcast, you can share your thoughts now. <laughs> I, <laughs> so Enchanted Plumes is, is a game that I designed and it has since been published. And uh, the experience of watching people make mistakes, but not knowing that they're making mistakes. Um, so making a choice that they feel is a decision. Um I think is simultaneously one of the most painful and also exciting things um, at, on being on the other side of the table because you just sort of see the potential for learning to play out. And I, I've done my, I try so hard not to sort of point it out in situations like that too, because I just want people to be able to make the thing decision that they want to make and to have it feel that way. And eventually they'll see like, oh, maybe sticking a four in the base of my peacock is a bad idea um, or a five, depending on player count. But It's just, it's so fun, sort of. I think that before designing Enchanted Plumes, I didn't think like, oh, what are the room that players can make mistakes in? Beyond sort of saying, I wanted players to have agency over how their turns played out. That's where like, start as many peacocks as you want. I don't care. If you want to try to start eight of them, yeah, that'll be a mistake. But I wanted players to be able to do that because it created, I thought, more of a decision space that players could sort of push against and explore. But beyond that, I didn't think about much about mistakes. Um, and I'm kind of glad that I didn't think more about mistakes um, because I think it left... I think at that point in time, I might have been more likely to say, oh, there's too much room to make mistakes and sort of pulled back and sort of maybe tried to guide people in the rules even or something. And mistakes are good. Let people yeah. make them. I think yeah. on a at a very surface level, like the fact that people are making mistakes when playing a game tells you that that game is functioning as a game. Yeah, yeah there's strategic <laughs> you know? death. Yeah, yeah. There's like, that's like, you know, you got to have that. You know, and I think now we're back to square one. So basically what we've, the, the final takeaway is that when you're play testing a game designer's game and they're smiling at you, be, be wary about the, the choices you're making, the decisions you're making, because maybe they're choices and you're just making them feel good about the mistakes you're making, <laughs> proving the, they're the just viability. They're like, I got you with that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I think with that, that, that's a nice little cap on our, uh, on our episode here today, Jake. But do you have any, any closing thoughts or any wise words for the listeners about mistakes? <laughs> uh, try not to make them, but when you do you know learn yep. from them and you know at the end of the day we're all here to play games and have a good time so be tolerant of people who make mistakes when it happens uh be patient with yourself as well definitely and enjoy when mistakes happen that are memorable because they'll shape how you play and remember games you know what actually here's my final word i want to shout out to uh the amazing game podcast, So Very Wrong About Games, uh, and their co-host, Mark, who says said famously, I think it's fantastic, mistakes are interesting, so play faster. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, well said, Mark. Um, with that, like I said, if you if you stop by the Discord, the link is in the show notes. Also, we've been posting our on our blog every week on BGG. None of y'all have commented. Many of you all are thumbing up the post, which I really appreciate. It helps get decision space in front of more people. But if you decide to make the decision to comment, Jake and I will be thrilled, even if it's just like saying blurb or like potato, uh, we'll just know. Um, but for all you pre-planners out there who are still listening, Jake and I are not rewarding you this week. You just have to be left guessing. Uh, well, so we oh. talked about a couple of games on Do this you- episode that potentially could come up. Ooh. You know, maybe Castle of Burgundy, maybe Hey, That's My Fish. I don't know. Uh, who uh, knows? Yeah. Also... We'll see you next time. Keyflower maybe on the horizon. Jake oh, yeah. maybe even on the horizon. We'll see. We'll see if Jake wants to play Keyflower more. Amazingly, we haven't exhausted all the games yet. <laughs> <laughs> and let's hope we, we never do. Thanks for listening. We so appreciate it. Take care, y'all. You are now exiting the decision space. Thanks for listening. Please take care and enjoy the rest of your game. Mm-hmm.